0: Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on sea moss, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15 to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner. And founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Zach Bulick is a genuinely kind and open spirit, underpinned by an intuitive sharpness that unearths itself once in conversation with him. The longtime designer has forged a career in a number of industries, from institutions and nonprofits to agencies BurnKit, Domain7, and then global firm Verset, where he's currently a designer, facilitator, and strategy lead. Born in Dallas, Texas, he's the only child of an academic father and a fun, nurturing mother his family soon moved to British Columbia, settling in Langley, where his father was the vice president of student life at Trinity Western University. Surrounded by university students and essentially growing up on campus and in dorms, Zach spent his childhood here until he was 13 years old, when the family went stateside back to Dallas-Fort Worth. He returned to Vancouver for university and because somehow it always felt like home. Once back in the Pacific Northwest, he began to immerse himself deeper into the world of design thinking and human-centered design. In this conversation, we explore his childhood in both the States and Canada, his pursuit of design in university and why he felt drawn to it, a short chapter living in Wales in the UK, how his mentors have touched his life in different ways, what design thinking means and putting humans back at the center of design experiences, things he's been pondering around purpose and impact since a recent birthday, emerging trends and hot topics in design, learning to create space for oneself, and more. Please enjoy this gentle, introspective conversation with the wonderful and utterly delightful Zach Bulick. Zach Bulick, welcome to The Craft.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I know. I'm honored
1: that you're here. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, you and I have met very recently Mm -hmm. through our mutual friend, Amanda Lee Smith, who is like... You need to, you need to meet Zach. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm so glad that I did.
1: Oh, Amanda is like the ultimate people champion. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel honored, but she's done the same for me, May. So it's great to meet you.
0: Yeah. So, so good. And I, I enjoyed our, our conversation that we had the first time we met mm-hmm. and yeah, the subsequent ones. So I'd love to keep on diving deep with you.
1: Okay. Let's do it. Let's
0: do it. Let's, let's go all the way back to Texas where yeah. you were born in Dallas.
1: Yeah, Dallas, Texas, one of the hottest days in August of 1985, just down the street from the Dr. Pepper factory at Baylor Hospital. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time in Texas, but I definitely like to pull the Texas card every once in a while because, <laughs> I don't know, it gives a bit of like swagger within Canada, which, you know, it's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. And then you get to throw out like Texas slang and words and- Do you
0: all, do it? Accent?
1: Oh, not not <laughs> consistently. When I'm when I'm actually spending some time with my family, I I'll say y'all. I mean y'all. Let's just agree, y'all is one of the best words ever invented in the English language. But um, but y'all, there's a bit of a drawl. It's like, hey everyone, how's it going? And like you just really lean into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just
0: draw out certain like vowels
1: super long a's everything (laughs) kind of blends together you're having like chicken fried steak and biscuits and gravy and getting like all of the good southern food when you're down there um and then you throw in out words like janky and cattywampus (laughs) and like it's like it's nothing
0: well what does the second one mean that you just said
1: cattywampus it's like wow my uncle ran into the fence and now it's all cattywampus (laughs) It feels very interchangeable with janky. Yeah. Um, but probably I don't know. I think of a I think of a slinky that gets super tangled up. And mm. It's all it's all cattywampus and yeah. There's no it's hope. Kind of to bent repair.
0: out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I want to use that word, but I also feel like it's wrong because I'm not from Texas.
1: Yeah. If there's if there's no other takeaway from this, it's like you've learned two words today: janky and cattywampus.
0: <laughs> janky, I do like. Yeah. I've used that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so then you moved to Langley after Texas.
1: Yeah. Until you were 13. Langley, uh, Langley, B.C., Fraser Valley. Um, I grew up there when it was still Fields and then all of a sudden the Willowbrook Mall. Um, but yeah, it's changed so much. But yeah, I grew up in Langley for most of the 90s and uh, still have a lot of friends out there
0: hmm Mm-hmm. And your dad, it, the reason why you went back was because your dad was working at Trinity, yeah?
1: Yeah. He was um, the VP of Student Life at Trinity Western University. And being, like, growing up on a university campus, essentially, for 13 years, and uh, being an only child, uh, but also surrounded by a ton of university students. So uh felt like I had a lot of, like, brothers and sisters and spent a lot of time in the dorms um gave a presentation to an early education class when i was seven on play-doh like the (laughs) the dough not (laughs) the philosopher um (laughs) and um and yeah got to be part of a lot of like like childhood psychology studies um but yeah, also had a lot of fun. It was fun to grow up on a university campus.
0: Mm. And what was your dad like, and and your mom? What are your parents like?
1: Oh, my parents are great. I, uh, yeah, I feel like I've been gifted with such fun and generous parents. Um, my mom is like the consummate host. She makes everyone around her feel so welcome and cared for. She asks really good questions and. Um, uh, just always had created like a space that felt safe for people to kind of come and just relax and kind of be doted on a little bit. Um, but we just always had a lot of life in our house growing up, a lot of like university students in and out of our doors. And, um, and also my mom's really fun. She, uh, one of like my favorite memories growing up was, um, we're on like my Norco bike and she's sitting on the seat, and I'm sitting on her lap, and, you know, I'm, I'm, like, on a bike, and I'm cool, and I'm, you know, eight or something like that, but she sees this big hill, and she's like, let's go down it, and I was like, I don't know about this, <laughs> but I, like, hop on her lap, and she doesn't even touch the pedals, just lets her legs, like, fly out in front of the bike, and is just screaming, wee, and, like, meanwhile, like, I'm <laughs> actually thinking we're gonna die, but um yeah, she's always been fun and adventurous. And my dad is um uh my dad was like the first person in his um family to go get a degree and like then subsequently went and did his master's and also did a doctorate. Um he's really well read. He has a ton of books in his office and he is uh he's a bit quieter. Um he's very funny. Um, once he gets going, he really gets going. Um, but we would always kind of connect, um, going for like walks at night, like walking our dog, um, and get to like step into some of these like deeper life conversations along the way. So it's been fun to continue that pattern, even as I've gotten older and I'll still go home, walk the dog with him and like catch up on life. And we'll have wanderings wonderings about the universe and ask big questions together.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah. It's like your your own little ritual.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it shows up in different ways for each parent, right? Um, me and my dad will go for a walk and then me and my mom will get into like a good drive. And it's like something will start to spark when we're driving or we're doing an activity together. And that's where we can kind of like unpack life.
0: Mm, yeah. That's really special to have that with your parents.
1: Yeah. Like, those
0: deep conversations, I mean
1: yeah, it, it's nice. And it feels, um, I don't know for an only like an only child. It's like, it's just us. We don't have a ton of extended family. It's me and them. And it's always been that way. Um, so I know that not everyone has like, you know, has great relationships with their parents. So, um, I just feel really lucky because they're just, they're awesome. They're, very generous, Um, and I think, too, I never found, sometimes people mark their relationship with their family in terms of what they were allowed or not allowed to do, and I think something that always stood out to me was I always felt very um, trusted and respected, and, I mean, I probably needed (laughs) more rules at times, but um, there was just so much, Mutual respect and mutual care for one another. That, I mean, I was a pretty chill kid, and you know, it's like, oh, if you're home on time or whatnot. But it wasn't. Uh, it definitely wasn't like a dogmatic or overly prescribed household.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like they didn't restrict you too much in in thought and what you were just allowed to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I was also happy to go with the flow a little bit too. I'm very like a happy-go-lucky person, so. I wasn't, I also wasn't pushing major boundaries there, but yeah.
0: Mm. And you said that you were a chill child. Like, tell me more about you as a child Uh, and a teen.
1: Yeah, actually, no, maybe chill is not the right (laughs) word. Um, As a child, actually, no, I was totally a terror as a kid. Uh, I had so much energy and I would run around and I was always getting into mischief. And, um, I don't know all like all i wanted in elementary school was a trampoline um and uh i never had one so like i made strategic friendships with people that had trampolines and like that was a big mission (laughs) um you know getting older you upgrade to like okay i play goldeneye on n64 and that like took up four years of my life with all of the sleepovers and whatnot um and then And then, yeah, like, moving into high school uh, was relatively chill. By the time we moved – by the time I was in junior high and high school, we would actually moved back to Texas, um, which was a really big shift. Um, Moving from all your friends that you'd gone to, you know, pre-K, kindergarten with, all of elementary school, and then completely different city, different um, context – you can't get much more different than the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and Arlington, Texas. Mm. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have like any streak of rebellion, but it was just a much harder time. And I think collectively our family found it a harder transition than we expected. So there was both some bonding over that, but also some like um, kind of all grieving in our own way um, for the first while that we were there
0: hmm. If you were going to speak more about the transition, mm-hmm. what what were some of the glaringly like obvious differences for you um, that affected <clears throat> you?
1: Yeah, I think I uh, I went to a pretty small junior high and elementary school in Langley um, with a ton of like parent involvement and you know, like these are people that we did life together with, um, going to Texas. I just remember going to this like giant junior high, there's security guards everywhere or not everywhere, but there's a few security guards. Um, it definitely felt like a more acute transition into like stereotypical American high school. Um, girls would walk by the security guard and like as a joke they would drop their purse and say oh shit my crack and like make like jokes um there were maybe not gangs but there are definitely like groups of kids that um were aggressive towards other groups you step into the cafeteria and it felt so much like a um like a, a pop culture movie where Oh, here's where the jocks are, here's where the goths are, here's like how everyone splits up. Um and I hadn't experienced that for before and that just felt so um just strange that there was so much um distance from everyone. But um but also um I think it just it just felt like such a grown up environment and a bit more like aggression. I like maybe this would have happened if I was in Canada too, if I was in Langley. But I think it probably would have, you know, had a bit more um, you know, relationships going into it. But I'm like the new guy in a giant school that um that yeah, just uh I didn't really know how to find myself like integrating into that well initially.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mhm. Oh, that must have felt really tough.
1: Yeah, it was strange. It was a lot to adapt to. Um I think to uh like you're navigating all of this. You're kind of navigating it alone. You're trying to like find friends. And I remember when I first moved there um, I probably wasn't the best person to be friends with because like I was processing my own frustration that we had moved and um, probably wasn't as like fun or as receptive to friends as I would have normally been. Um, but I remember especially for that first year, I basically like hung out with people that I don't even think they wanted me to hang out with them. It was just like you won't you won't tell me to go away, so I'm just gonna sit in close proximity to you and you like somewhat feel safe Mm. but especially at that junior high i didn't develop like deep friendships um there and it wasn't really until i got into high school in like ninth grade and tenth grade where it really felt like i had gotten to a place of developing some core friendships and felt really settled into high school life Mm.
0: and do you still talk to those high school friends now um not
1: not like directly um a lot i mean i'll keep up with them and you know see what's going on in their lives via instagram or facebook um i think as we've kind of like grown and changed there's probably some pretty big differences in our worldviews um which hey there should always be room for conversation um i do remember uh coming back from university uh, and visiting with like my high school best friend, and uh, and we got into some conversation about um, guns in America, and I was like, oh my gosh, just isn't isn't it outrageous, like like um, the gun problem in America? And his response was, I know it's the second amendment it's our right and I was like oh Oh, let's like back up that train we're like on very different pages here um but he just completely misinterpreted it I was like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh I was like oh yeah we're like really different Mm. but um uh but yeah I mean I would still I'd still consider him a friend
0: yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. everyone evolves too and yeah yeah, this, this happens in life and so what what brought you back to BC? It was going to Trinity Western, yeah. right? Um, but also, was there something else that was pulling you back here that was much more deeper, like in your soul and your spirit?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the easiest answer is, like, BC was home. Um, I mean, I felt like a, um, when I was in Texas, I was like the Canadian, and that was, like, the identity. Um, and uh, and that's fine. It's, like, it didn't matter that I was, like, born in Texas because, it's like, I deeply resonated with, like, with Canada. Like, um, there's so many forming years here. Um, so I think that's what I was really searching for when coming back. Um, I ended up, you know, going back to the university that my dad had worked at for a number of years. I... Um, that also felt like home I spent so much time there growing up um, some of the professors professors I ended up having um, knew me when I was you know a toddler and would call out Zach Buick is in my class like I like I remember you in diapers, which <laughs> is what every first year at university wants to have announced <laughs> to a room of you know sixty people um but yeah, there was a sense of safety there. There was a sense of kind of like um, I know this place and um, familiarity, but but maybe a bit of a – but I've been away for a while. So like I don't know. I felt a sense of like comfort and ownership and excitement to be there. And I, I think like frankly what drew me to Trinity was um, all of those relationships with people I'd had growing up. I saw the type of people that they were, the, like, leaders that they were, and how they showed up in the world, and I, from an early age, really identified, I was like, there's something distinct here, there's something different, Um, and that really stood out to me, and that's what I wanted to to participate into.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to go back to something that you said about, you know, always being the, the canadian mm-hmm. at your school it, it's really funny because all of my family lives in LA yeah and they always call me the canadian too and i wonder what that is it's always said with like kind of jokingly but also like with some dismissiveness yeah. <laughs> it's oh, really interesting it's like oh the canadian it's like oh that's so interesting what what makes you say it like that
1: yeah i mean they're just envious obviously <laughs> uh, but It's funny because it wasn't. um, It it actually went both ways because I remember in elementary school and getting into junior high in Canada, I've had friends and they're like, "Oh, you're you're the American," because they knew that, like, I was born in the states. And I remember, um, I remember, you know, in my most dramatic phase, thinking like, like, where do I belong? Like, it's like. The place I was born identifies me as something else. And then the place that I really feel is home um is like, well, you're you're also other here. Um <clears throat> and I just say dramatic because I'm like, I don't actually need to dwell on that too long. Like I know where home is and mm. and I can like be grounded and find comfort in that. Um But yeah, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I think it's like calling out um Maybe there's a difference that they see. Maybe there's um, some assumptions that they have around mm-hmm. what that means. But um, it is wrapping up some of the stereotypes about Canadians and uh, and imposing them on us. Maybe,
0: <laughs> um, even though there's so, some of them are so untrue. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Oh, totally. You really think that? <laughs> oh.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if I was going down to text and every second word, I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, maybe you can call me out on this. But, um, but I was like, yeah, I do identify as Canadian and we're badass. Mm-hmm. Bring it on.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm fine with it. So <laughs> so when you were at Trinity, mm-hmm. there was nothing really design specific you could take as a program, but you started to enroll in everything that was sort of <clears> design related <throat> while also working in communications in the communications department Mm -hmm. um tell me about that that whole journey
1: yeah from uh from actually a mentor in high school um who was a graphic designer he uh he he just like introduced me to like the creative suite and i got my first illegal copy of illustrator and photoshop but from grade 10, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm unlocked on these tools. I'm so excited to create. And I started making logos and they're nightmares to look at now. <laughs> um, absolutely no accessibility standards. There's so many things wrong with them. But, um, but I was just like pumping them out. And I started really ravenously following some designers online. Um, initially, it was through like a community on Flickr and i knew acutely that 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 design was what i wanted to pursue even though at the same time i wanted to um i i also knew that i wanted to go to trinity i i remember my first year at trinity really wanting to pursue design and feeling this tug between um should i go to an art institute or emily carr or like or ocad or some other other school um and still feeling drawn and feeling centered on like okay i want to stay with trinity but if i'm going to stay here i need to figure out what opportunities i can step into and um i was such a keener even before school started i emailed trinity's newspaper uh it's called mars hill it's still running today and it is an awesome group of students um but I emailed the editor at the time and uh, got to meet them in the fall, turned out to be some like lifelong friends um, just from that initial meeting. But uh, I think our email exchange was like, was um, show me some of your work and what kind of bands are you into? And (laughs) I was very cool at the time. And there was this unknown band called Snow Patrol out of the UK that before international success was like oh this is very under the radar i'm so hip and cool (laughs) i'm into like brit rock that nobody knows about um but that that got me in and i got to um work on all of the newspaper issues and eventually be the visual editor um trinity also uh, i don't know if they still have it but they at the time had a yearbook for a university um which as a student leader, gave me a budget of around $60,000 to do a custom print project, which oh, wow. I was really excited to take on. Um, but you got to explore all these different print mediums and formats. And it, it was this, you know, not a class, but it was this opportunity to kind of like run a small business, hire a staff, um, coordinate timelines with a printer, like work with photographers work with other creatives on campus um so now they have um they have the sam school which actually has a design degree that you can pursue but at the time before that was created um this was just this was just like an extracurricular that i got to be involved in Mm. um but yeah any any design opportunity i would step into it and would kind of throw my whole self in
0: yeah and how long were you there for like did you did you work there after you were graduated as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was there from 2004 to 2009. I, I took a year off and actually worked um, uh, or volunteered um, in the Ronda Valleys in Wales. Um, I was actually a, a secondary school or a teacher's assistant, essentially, in a high school. And they had me teaching American football and baseball because I i'm in north america and i apparently i know those things yeah um but uh after after i came back that was during my second year then yeah carried on until 2009 and ended up working for their communications department um um and was like designing you know different artifacts for the school and um and did that until the fall until i moved from langley to vancouver and um and started my vancouver life mm.
0: i i didn't know about whales. how was that for yeah. you like other than teaching these these sports <laughs> yeah 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 I, i'd love to know, um, know what that year was like
1: i think so that year was after my first year at trinity and having that wrestle of design school not design school I think i just wanted an adventure and i happen to have some close friends that live in wales and they had a, they had connections to say oh if you want to you can come stay with us and um and then be a teacher's assistant um i helped run a, an after-school youth drop-in um, but i was just outside of um uh, i actually stayed in this small village na- uh, called Clydach. Um, which is outside of Tonapandy, outside of Cardiff, but in South Wales. and um, it it just was an amazing experience. Uh, got to connect with some um, lifelong friends, have gone back several times, was best man in a wedding over there with my um, my my best friend Christian. And um, I think for me, I wasn't trying to necessarily like, find myself, but I was definitely in a stage of like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and so why not escape to the UK <laughs> and and spend some time there figuring it
0: out? Mm, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. A year of self-discovery. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And then when you got back to Vancouver, mm-hmm. that's when you started your freelance career. This is where you interned at Burn Kit. Yeah. And then you also ended up at the Union Gospel mission for a while no
1: yeah um I uh yeah I interned with burn kit um for probably a little over a year I came in as an internship and then I helped be an interim studio manager but um Josh Dunford is a friend he's so gracious um and took on (laughs) probably someone that had no business of being there but really gave me like full exposure to agency life um, sitting in on client pitches, seeing how um, the design team was like presenting concepts and ideas, and um, I look back now and I'm like, oh wow, you were giving me a lot of opportunities that stretched me and prepared me for the work that I stepped into for years to come. Um, which, uh, which I think at the time was like, oh, would I have trusted myself to to give that task to me? But um yeah, that was amazing, made some really good friends out of that. And then uh that kind of equipped me to step into this role with UGM. Um UGM had gone through a rebrand and kind of being a nonprofit, they had they had won this work uh um as a, like a donation. So they had a new logo, but outside of that there weren't any, you know, brand standards or Um, any other collateral or signage so they basically needed a complete overhaul and um, their uh, director of development at the time Janessa Greening brought me in and um, she was like yep I'm going to bring you in I'm going to give you this opportunity and eventually we're going to build a team uh, out here because I really want to have a creative team in-house to help adapt to what our donors are looking for, provide supports to the downtown east side community in terms of communication and um, helping make some of the messaging more accessible to the diverse needs of that group. And um, and yeah, I was there for a little over three years, and over the uh, over that three years, uh, initially designed everything and was just every single day working through like this asset, this asset, this brochure, this poster, this car wrap. Um, and eventually was able to, like, help build out a team of um, developers, uh, videographer, writer, and um, and do some really cool editorial work and also brand work.
0: Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. So you, like, helped really overhaul all of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, with immense help. I, I'm, Janessa had a vision, and mm. it was really um, – her and then uh, the person I, I worked closely with was Jay Stewart. He was my manager. Mm-hmm. And just the combination of their mentoring, um, their deep trust in the team. And, uh, yeah, they really – I would say they really empowered me to help to help bring that vision forward and also inject my vision along the way around, like, what what's going to make a successful team.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that um, I'm listening to you say, or or, or picking up, or you know, people who have given you these chances along the way mm-hmm. and given you mentorship. And I remember in our last conversation, um, you had mentioned three people in your life that mm-hmm. had um, helped you change the course of things. Like they were mentors, and um, and I think you you mentioned Kara Pecknold mm-hmm. and Chad Falkenberg, yeah. and then uh, Tracy. But I can't remember her last Tracy name Falk. that's right yeah. Tracy Falk
1: yeah um I actually all through all three of those individuals I had met with as like an informational interview day after I graduated because being the keener you know postgraduate that I was um but yeah all of them have kind of touched my life in different ways um Tracy I initially kind of met through Flickr and mutual friends and she has such a strong aesthetic eye. She is such a, um, like, empathetic human. When she met me, I still remember to this day, when she met me, she was wearing, um, like, knit, half-cut gloves where her, like, fingers were exposed. But she she grasped my one hand with both of her hands, between both of her hands. And um, it's, it stood out to me. as just this powerful, like, moment of connection with her and i was like oh you don't you don't even know me that well and this feels powerful but um i i've learned so much just through um connecting with her on a friendship level but also i had the chance to work with her at domain 7 as well and see her process um the questions that she asks the space that she holds for people as they're you know critiquing design or trying to understand you know The complexity that she's made so beautiful and so simple um yeah so tracy's tracy's had a like a big impact
0: Mm. um may i ask um before you move to the next one what kind of questions does tracy ask
1: um oh i'm gonna only tracy can ask those questions may (laughs) um no i think i think it's it's maybe not a series of questioning or a line of questioning. It's more, the, the space and the posture that she holds for people who are coming into a design process maybe for the first time and really trying to wrap their head around it, um, and, and, just through her experience being able to acutely like actively listen for what is the heart of the thing that we're trying to get at here because, it's not about you know, making it pop or, um, make the logo bigger. There's actually a bigger human problem that we're trying to solve with, you know, creating a website or taking complex information and making it digestible to the end user. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's more like the posture she holds and then how she responds to folks in that moment. Mm,
0: okay. Yeah. Got it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, the second you mentioned was um, Kara Pecknold, and Kara and I go way back. Um, she actually used to live uh, above our garage in a, a suite that we had in Langley, and so she's known me for a while. But Kara was the first person to introduce me to um, the social impact space, how design can really be transformative in people's lives. Um I had never heard of design thinking before working like or learning from Kara and um and it it was transformative for me because it, throughout my career I've moved from a space of, you know, graphic design and really getting into like layout and typography and branding and and like strong visuals and more about um uh design methodology and design thinking and um, uh, really question questions around like the human centered experience whether that is you know through a product or through a process Um, but it was Kara who opened up that door for me initially and really gave me visibility into like oh my gosh design can be so much bigger and I don't want to come in here and be like oh yeah, design can save the world because that ship has sailed. No, like <laughs> that's not what I'm advocating for. But um, she opened up a way of thinking that I just really resonated with and got so excited by. And to this day is something that I, um, I'm i still practicing. I'm still stepping into on a regular basis. Um, and I'm having drinks with her on Thursday and I'm so mm. excited to like learn more from her. Yeah. But yeah, she's been... Um, She's been, uh, I would say, like, a consistent mentor in my life for the last number of years. Mm.
0: Yeah. And for those listeners who don't know what design thinking is, can you explain?
1: Oh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, that, I mean, where do I want to start with that? I think... I'll look at human centered design, but it's like putting the cent- the human at the center of the design process and truly asking and designing for like end user needs and human needs and trying to take a more holistic approach to that, um, recognizing that, of course, there's outcomes that a business is trying to achieve. Of course, there's flows that we're trying to get folks to like walk through or be impacted by, but trying to take a step back and say what truly is um going to be like most holistically good for this user and aligns with some of the outcomes that we're trying to achieve as a business. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's also just like, it's paying attention. It's paying attention Mm. to humans and it's understanding what their needs are, how we're addressing them and, and not just doing that through exclusively behavior evaluation, but it's like, let's talk to people. Mm -hmm. Um, and doing that through yeah a number mm. of different ways
0: is this what you love most about design
1: oh yeah oh my gosh like i love people like people and design is my venn diagram <laughs> that's the sweet spot for zach buick um it's your I, icky guy exactly <laughs> <laughs> i i love relationships i love getting to understand what makes people tick and then um I love coming together with folks to be a bit of like that glue to solve that problem or overcome that obstacle to like to get to the the place that we're trying to get to.
0: Mm, and that's what you're doing at Verset now.
1: Yeah, um, Verset um, we're a digital product company. We're global. Um, I work on the North American team, and I'm uh, I'm a strategy lead. And um, my background in in like UX design, in client management, in kind of facilitation, and all of these different things have kind of brought me together to be the space of, oh yeah, I get, I get to be the glue. I get to be the glue that's connecting with users, connecting with our clients, and helping bring out insights that are going to really help our projects succeed. Um, being the bridge between our product teams who are helping lead some of the overarching product strategy as well as our design team who is bringing like extreme depth in like the ux space and creating really delightful experiences out of the insights that you know all of the teams that came before them have have offered up to them and then transforming that into something that truly could be like a transformational product
0: experience Mm. and um I want to go this is this is not about design, but um before I forget about it, uh, the last conversation we had, you had said that you just celebrated your thirty seventh birthday. yeah, and and you're old. Really, <laughs> you are not old. <laughs> um, but that you're very reflective around this time, and mm. that something had really shifted internally for you. And uh, I'd love to explore what mm. what your feelings are around. This, this shift in what you're reflecting on?
1: Yeah, I mean, 2022 feels like a bit of level setting for all of us, but um, we're kind of in this post-COVID space. Um, I don't know, I don't know if anyone resonates with this. I, I found myself in 2021 facing burnout, um, really struggling with um, everyone being a bit on edge. Um, at the time I'm helping you know, lead strategy with a lot of our, our partnerships, um, at the agency. And, um, and it's like, we're trying to like get work done while everyone is collectively going through this like significant languishing and, um, like being so tired of, of what the last two years had kind of brought. So I came into 2022 Already feeling what I'm describing as a bit crispy, so not not actively burned out, but definitely crispy from the last little while. <clears throat> and um, with my birthday coming up, it just made me more reflective on what's important in life. Um, where have where have I been over the last few years? We all feel like the Last couple of years have maybe been stolen from us, or have just gone by so quickly. <clears throat> so, I find myself asking, "What's the impact that I want to be having in the world? What is the contribution? What's what's sort of what's next?" Um, not in the sense of, you know, occupation or what I'm doing, but um, where do I want my focus to be? I think uh, I feel so significantly challenged around climate change and our impact on the environment and i want to be asking the question of how am i participating in um in some form of renewal whether that's with people and relationships or the environment or my local community but um it's almost like I'm already doing some things, but I'm just like, oh, this is such a strong desire and I'm, I'm wrestling with what that looks like. Um, I was just reflecting with a friend the other day, how, you know, if you'd asked me in my twenties, like, what is Zach doing? I was like, oh, I'm like, I helped start the tool library. I'm like doing this thing called trade school that's barter based education. And it's so like had, had projects on the go and felt really involved. And now I'm a bit like, okay, well, I'm living life, I'm doing community with friends, I'm working, and and I want to have – I want to, like, be participating in something more. Mm. So I'm figuring that out.
0: hmm hmm Yeah. And it's I, – I feel like it's okay not to have everything figured out right in the moment and just sort of, like, marinating in it for a little while mm-hmm. and see what comes.
1: Yeah. And – Marinating is good. Um, my I like to stay busy. I like to have multiple calls on attention. And I think throughout COVID, it um it's uncomfortable. Like silence is uncomfortable for me. Um if I'm alone in my apartment and making coffee, like I'm listening to your podcast. I'm I'm listening to an audio book. I've got something else on the go. And I think um before I figure out what that big thing is, the small day-to-day is noticing, am I multitasking or monotasking? Am I being present in the moment or am I being distracted by my phone um, or trying to fill empty space? Mm -hmm. So asking myself, how am I feeling comfortable with silence, with myself? How am I letting my mind kind of wander, get back to a bit of play, experience You know deeply feel emotions rather than just cognitively think them through Mm. so that's that's some of the work that i'm doing right now um but i'm hoping that some of the learnings from that can translate into something else
0: Mm. yeah something that you said just really resonated with me because i had this thought this morning as i was getting ready and uh i was listening to a podcast and it was a, a ritual podcast and uh I went to dry my hair, and I was like, oh, you know, when, when I'm drying my hair, I won't be able to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I turned off the podcast, but then I went onto YouTube, and I found a clip of something that I could at least watch while <laughs> I was yeah. drying my hair. And I remember thinking, why am I doing this? Like, mm-hmm. why am I trying to find something else to, like, fill in the podcast spot because I can't hear it, but mm-hmm. I still need to see something. Yeah. Um, and it made me reflect on mid-February, I did my first um, medicine ceremony. So mm-hmm. I did a psychedelic called 5-MEO-DMT. And it was a very transformative experience. We can get into that in some yes. other conversation. <laughs> but one of the things that they had us do was in the week leading up to it, they asked that we lessened the amount of music we listen to, mm. um, the podcasts, the videos. And so I remember for that week, I was just getting ready in the morning in silence. Yeah. And I do remember thinking, gosh, this is so nice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm, I, I resonate deeply with what you're saying about just some silence, you know, is is okay. Oh,
1: I mean, I still find it <laughs> so uncomfortable and, I don't realize how uncomfortable I, I find it until I'm like, I'm just passively searching for something to turn on. And I'm like, what are you doing? Hey, just like chill. You, mm-hmm. can, you can peel a banana without having to listen to the daily. This is okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and to get back into design, mm-hmm. um, what's exciting you right now that you're seeing out there in terms of design? What's emerging that you feel like you can share for for yeah. others to know about?
1: Um, I, it seems like it seems like right now, and maybe this is just like another trend or wave, but it seems like in a post-COVID world where there's a lot of emphasis on um, like service design or designing services, and um, I'm seeing a lot more inquiries about that. Folks are, are kind of like. maybe it feels like the hot topic right now. Um, And there's a whole bunch of different things like happening within like the design space. I think that service design is great, but what I love it that it like um, bridges into is um, more questions around inclusive design and accessible design and how are we creating experiences that are truly holistic for humans, not just some humans. So Mm. we're getting... um, we're getting <clears throat> clients and businesses who are more interested in um, like diverse user research and are really wanting to ensure that they're not just meeting accessibility standards, but they're surpassing them. and um, and that that is like, oh, okay. This is like starting to step into that like more equitable, more transformative space um, for everyone so I'm, I'm excited when I get to partner on projects that like have an emphasis like that um, and in our practice that's something that um, we put a lot of emphasis to uh, on as well so when mm. we're recruiting folks um, uh, really wanting to make sure that the folks that we're talking to are representative of like the user base that our clients are working with and not just the easy to access user base, but it's like truly representative of like that whole community. Mm. Um, so it's not always the easiest um, path, but it is. Um, it's the right path. It's a good path. And and often, even though it can sometimes be overlooked, it it often um, brings forward insights that do affect the bottom line. That do affect. Um, how a service is performed or used or interacted with in a really positive way because um, uh, you often find if you're designing for folks who are like underserved or the minority, it actually is providing insights that serve everyone and Mm. uplifts the whole experience for every user. Mm. So um, that's what's feeling really encouraging that just that there's less of a fight for that space now. Um, There still is a bit of a fight, but there's less of it and it takes less convincing and it's like, okay, we can put this into a contract. Awesome. I'm glad that I don't have to rationalize this with a client for, you know, Mm. back and forth just to get some budget for it.
0: Right. Yeah. Hmm. I'm I'm curious to know what, what are some recent insights that you've come across in this kind of accessibility design area that you're like, wow, I Mm. wouldn't have known that.
1: Oh gosh. Um, I think this is like this is more. There's this is more me. I, I feel still quite like new to this space, or specifically when it comes to inclusive design, and like there's so much depth that could be stepped into there. Um, I think just learning about some of the different tools that folks use to interact with products or websites or apps, um, and how even within, like, user research, some of the evaluative tools, whether it's, like, um, uh, whether it's, like, a survey or, um, I don't know, some tool that we're using as part of our user research, how it's, like, oh, actually, this tool is inaccessible, and we need to figure out a workaround for this particular tool, Um, and how even though uh, the space is like really trying to push more for like an equitable space when it comes to engaging with um, audience members and users. Uh, there's There's still some scrappy barriers that we need to get get over and and find solutions for. So um, because often if it's if it's not us coming to the table with a solution or an approach that is mindful of what that individual's bringing to us. Um, it's putting the onus on them to, oh, can you figure out how um, how to show us your screen, even though you're you're using mm. a screen reader or um, and and ultimately, like we want it to we want that research practice to be something that is like easy, straightforward that we can bring to them and not have them have to kind of like coach us through it yeah. in order to give you know insights from their perspective.
0: Mm, it's like not yeah, not causing them to labor on your behalf. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but every opportunity, um, I mean, there's new learnings with every single engagement that we get to do. And it's it's about paying attention to that and some of that constant refinement to make sure that we're able to meet those needs when we encounter them and exactly like you said, not not cause additional labor that's unnecessary.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, they they always say that with like, kind of learning about, you know, other cultures and how they operate is like you don't make them labor for your education. Absolutely. Yeah, and so yeah, just being mindful of of that and not and not doing that and oh, doing your own homework.
1: One hundred percent. And I mean, I I say this as like a, um, like. White gay man with like immense privilege throughout my entire life, and there's a lot of learning that I I'm still doing on mm-hmm. a regular basis too.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's being human, like yep. constant works in progress. So, yeah, I I also remember you saying um, in our free chat uh, before today mm-hmm. uh, that you were. Um, as you were reflecting, you were also reflecting on good boundaries and protecting your energy. I'd love to hear more about this.
1: Oh, totally. Um, I, being a people person, being someone who is like motivated by like the friends in my life, um, is typically up for like a fun experience or meeting new folks. Um, I my tendency is to definitely like stretch myself then. Um, I made a rule a couple of years ago where if I start a day with a to-do list, um, let's say it's like a weekend and it's like, okay, I want to do the grouse grind. I'm going to go grab some groceries. I'm going to pop over to Mech, I'm going to do basically like make this list. I want to end at third beach. Um, I'm allowed to make it, but then I immediately have to cut it in half and, and move half of those tasks to the other day because that, half of that list is actually going to be a full day and it's going to allow me to like be present in those activities rather than having more of a, I mean, gluttonous mentality for experience and just like thinking about the next thing when I'm currently doing one thing. Mm. So um, that is lifelong learning for me because I, uh, I like a lot of things and I like <laughs> to step into new stuff all the time. But um, but it comes back to like really trying to be present with the thing that I'm doing in the moment. And um, that's the only way that I'm going to actually feel like a sense of fullness from that. I know mm. I'm using like gluttony and fullness, but um, if, I'm, if I'm constantly just eating experiences, then I'm not taking time to savor them. I'm not taking time to like digest them fully. Mm. Whereas if I can, um, you know, be in the moment, really take in every aspect of what I'm doing. Then um, I'll actually remember it. I might learn something from it. Um, there might be some aha moment that comes out of it. Um, and I won't get that if I'm just
0: barely... checking things off <laughs> exactly and moving yeah.
1: forward into the next thing. Mm.
0: Do you think that it, that's more? you know, having this list of things to do and trying to check them off. Did it have any, does it have anything to do with like, not feeling like you don't have enough time? Like just need to do it all in this, this amount of time? I mean,
1: kind of, I mean, I, um, I think something I've been reflecting on too is just how life, life can feel a bit like survival. Um, and for some that feels like such an understatement, but, uh, I don't know. I get, as I get older, I'm like crankier towards capitalism and I'm like, this system is broken (laughs) and I was born into it and I reject it, but I'm a part of it. And how do I resolve that? Um, But yeah, thinking through that and I was like, oh, I like, if I don't, if I don't feed myself, I don't eat. If I don't wash my clothes, I don't, then none of this, nothing happens unless I like get up and do it. So I do think like time feels precious. Um, I did, uh, I did have a, a job at one point that was four days a week, and I will say, y'all, the four day work week is amazing. <laughs> it is, it is so life giving. You do all of your laundry on Friday, and then you truly have a few days to rest <laughs> yeah. and get out into nature and, mm-hmm. um, and like have like a Sabbath. But um, yeah, I, it does feel like time. Time is just one of the, like the most precious things, and I'm like, how do I optimize this? But then, how do I optimize it in a way that doesn't um, completely throttle my bank account, and then make, <laughs> makes it unlivable for Vancouver?
0: Yeah. Or or how do you, you know, not think of time as something that's like scarce? Like even though it is, mm-hmm. but just going into it with that scarcity mindset already just kinds you kind of puts you in this this weird uh, relationship with it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And. um and I love that you said scarcity mindset because I was actually journaling earlier this week and I was like, right now, I've I've kind of fallen into a bit of a scarcity mindset and I don't know why, and I, it's part of some of that unpacking of post COVID and, um, and uh, yeah, I'm actually I've I've worked with a coach sometimes and I'm going to be meeting with them later this week. But like my question is like, hey, I'm in the space. I don't know exactly how I got here, but I am having like. Things feel tight mm. and I haven't always felt this way logically, I know that it's not this way, but everything the way that you know my body is feeling or things that are like coming up for me, it's like, oh yeah, it feels a bit scarce right now
0: hmm i uh, yeah I wonder maybe i'll 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 share something from mm. a something that I've been feeling, I had been feeling personally, um, for the last month I'd been feeling like, wow, I've I've just got so much on the go, Mm -hmm. like doing all these things, all these events and, um, yeah, feeling like time was, was really, really tight. Mm -hmm. And this last weekend I decided that I was going to have a very quiet weekend because I don't mind being alone. Mm -hmm. Like as much as I love people, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I believe that I'm truly an introvert. So in order to, Uh, regenerate, I need that quiet time. Mm -hmm. And so other than doing a a private sound bath for a client out in in Deep Cove, I had a very, very quiet weekend. And I just read and just did my own thing. And I feel so good right now. And I wonder if it's because I just created space.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: I just made the decision to give that back to myself where Mm. it was it was sort of getting tight for me
1: <laughs> yeah and it sounds like it sounds to you created space but you like made an intention around what that space was going to be for you mm, and mm-hmm. i think that's that feels a bit of like the unlocking for me where um i don't know you'll have a saturday and i'm like i i rested but if your mind is still thinking about but i didn't do this like it still is maybe in a bit of achievement mode mm, um yeah and so learning how to release yourself of that or like put that away for a time and then be able to come back to it truly rested, truly having taken that space. Yeah. Um, I mean, I should like need to go to one of your sound baths because that also sounds really <laughs> rejuvenating. Yeah,
0: they, they Oh, there are all kinds of things. It, it, it's definitely rejuvenating. And it, it could also be for some people, it's like, wow. I did not know it was going to be that intense. Mm -hmm. I did not know that was hidden deep inside me. Oh yeah. So it's yeah. I mean, I would love to to have you in sometime. So. Hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, I feel like I have just a few more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, The one question that I have, second to last, is: Looking back at your thirty-seven years, do you feel proud of where you're at?
1: Yeah. Oh proud. That's a, um I I don't know if I want to say the word proud. I sure <laughs> <laughs> um that feels like a very classic answer, sure. Um I think I feel I think I feel grateful. Um I mean going back to the very beginning, it's like I I feel so blessed by like my parents and the household I grew up in. Um, they're so generous and I think that they've instilled a lot of things in me that I was able to like to carry forward in life. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I look back and I'm like, okay, if I've like kind of honored them in terms of how I'm showing up in the world, then I'm feeling, feeling good about that. Um, haven't always gotten it right, but yeah, I think I'm feeling good. Mm. And I think to um looking around me and seeing like the friends in my life and the community that I get to like participate in and be a part of that's that's the thing that feels really life-giving and that's that's what I'm proud of like it's always uh maybe my sure is coming from a space of always able to like be the champion of other people before myself mm. but I uh I find that oh I find that so much easier mm. but um but yeah I I think so Sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh and my last question that I ask everybody mm-hmm. with what you do what is it that you want to leave behind in the world?
1: Hmm. I think um I think I think probably it's how I made people feel and what yeah what how did i make them feel how did i create space for people um how did i yeah i think just the posture that i held with folks um and again like coming back to like a learning but like trying to trying to be present with them trying to actively listen trying to like really connect with another individual um I feel like it's like in those small moments that are like the most powerful. It's like, sure, Zach, I could do a bunch of things, but it's like it's more about that one on one connection and um, whether that's a longtime friend or whether that is, you know, a new acquaintance that you just you meet once and maybe you have an impact on that individual. So I hope Mm -hmm. that there's some lingering essence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do definitely have a lingering essence. (laughs) And it's a really lovely one. And uh, so yes. you're doing it already. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you've come into my sphere. Thank you, Amanda Lee Smith.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Amanda. Thank you so much for yeah. bringing me into my life.
0: Yeah. This was a, a lovely, wonderful conversation. Mm. I definitely can't wait for, for more offline, online, wherever. And uh, yes, come in for a sound bath. Let's get you all absolutely vibed out.
1: I, I cannot wait <laughs> to get vibed out. This has been such a vibe. So more yeah. vibes with May. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, huge thank you. This has been so fun. And you've, you've made this experience really, um, well, you, set, you like set me at ease. And I really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, thank yeah. you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for this show are by Andrew and Jepa Gaspis, All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.